From time to time, I get myself focused on this banner behind us. We've been doing a journey together through the book of Colossians. On the supremacy of Christ and Jesus is all that we need. And I've kind of taken a liking to this banner. Like when this series is over, I'd like to put it up on some wall or someplace in here because that's really what the whole of Scripture and, and the whole of, of who God is in Jesus Christ is the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is all we need. Now, we believe that and we say that, but it's often difficult to practice it. So we take alongside of ourselves many other things along the way. But Colossians is teaching us that, that Jesus is supreme over all, and we need nothing else in this life. Jesus is all we need. We, we've been through Colossians chapter 1 and 2 now as a congregation. And I think it's important to note, in case you haven't noticed it, in a lot of the Pauline letters when he writes and he begins his letters, usually the first few chapters or sometimes three, four, or five chapters, I'm thinking specifically of Romans, but here in Colossians, chapter 1 and 2 deals with a whole lot of Christology, theology. And it's so important to know as a Christian that if we're going to talk about Christian living and Christian conduct, you got to start with theology. you got to start with Christology. Because if your theology is bad, guess what's going to happen? The way you live isn't going to be so good. All good Christian living is based on good theology. And the reason there are a number of churches and a number of people who are messed up in their lives with their conduct is because they don't have a good biblical theology. And so we strive here at community and, I, and, and other churches, Christian churches and throughout the area, nation, and the world, we strive to teach a good theology, biblical theology. Because once we got the theology right, the good conduct's going to flow out of us. And that's kind of what happens now as we turn to chapter 3. We heard a lot about Jesus Christ, about the supremacy of Christ, and Jesus is all you need. Okay, we got our Christology down. Now as you turn to chapter 3, we see this change of, of writing in Paul. He, he, now, he doesn't leave theology behind. We're going to find it dispersed throughout the next two chapters. But now he says, now let's take this theology that I've been teaching you and let me show you how it works. Let, let's put shoes on it and see how it works in your lives. Because now that we got our Christology right, it's going to teach us how to live the Christian life. And that's why as we turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, we have these words. Since then, okay, two chapters worth of since thens. Since then you have been raised with Christ. This is how you should live. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You see where we're fixing our eyes this morning? Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Verse 1 kind of begins with this, this whole issue of since you have been raised with Christ. And, and whenever you hear that being either buried with Christ or being raised with Christ, it's always referring to baptismal kind of language. 
we practice uh, here at community both uh, infant baptism and adult baptism. Sometimes we're up here with, with a baptismal font and we're, we're baptizing our children, sprinkling water on them, recognizing them that, that symbolism of baptism, dying to the old life, coming to the life of the new. Uh, since we don't yet have, Kyle and I talk about it from time to time, but since we don't have a tank here yet, uh, our adult baptisms are often done in, 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 a, in a, somebody's pool down the road. And that's exactly, actually, shows it even a little bit better, this whole idea of being immersed when you go down into the water, below the water, you're getting rid of your old self, and as you come out of the water, you're being raised to a new life. That kind of baptism symbolizes what Paul is talking about here when he says, since you've been raised with Christ, this baptismal kind of language. He says you've been raised to a new life. Raised to a new life. That, that, our, our vision statement here is as you see it now when you come in, life's transformed by Christ. Uh, when, when you are buried with Christ and you are raised with Christ, you take on a new life. You take on a new set of values. You take on a new set of priorities. You take on a different way of living than what you've lived before. That's really the essence of what happens when you are in Christ and Jesus Christ becomes your Lord and Savior. We sing it sometimes in that song that Jesse Hamm, who just went to be with the Lord a short time ago, used to just love to sing and play, you know, those words, i got resurrected power living inside of me. When you have resurrected power living inside of you, you just want to raise it up to God. That's his whole idea, dead to sin, dead to self, alive to God and alive to Jesus Christ. In a few weeks, Lord willing, might again to do this, uh, verses 5 through 9, we're going to hear more specifically about that. But this whole idea of this resurrected power living inside of me, since you've been raised with Christ, he says, uh, you've got to focus on the change that's taken place. Change is a transformation. Lives are truly transformed by Christ. And in verse 1, Paul specifically tells us, first of all, of a change that is needed and that happens for those who have this new life. Notice what he says again. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. In the Greek, it really it just says this. Seek the above. Where are you going to fix your eyes? Keep thinking of that song we sang a few moments ago. Where are you going to fix your eyes? Seek the above. Now, as you kind of work through what that means in the Greek language, it's a, it's a, it's a very good translation to say, uh, seek, uh, set your hearts on things above. Uh, you know, it's so easy, isn't it? Boy, living in this world, in any, any length of time, <laughs> it's so easy it's easy to set my heart, it's easy to set your heart, it's easy to set our hearts on the things below, earthly things. Or are you so much different than I am? These, these temporal things uh, uh, to our earthly passions, to our earthly possessions, to our earthly pleasures, to things like money, sex, popularity, power, or even a career. It's so easy because we live here to set our eyes and our focus on these temporal things, forgetting that they're only temporal, and yet we find so much pleasure in pursuing them. Paul says, listen, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated on the throne. 
since Jesus Christ is now your Lord and Savior and he's all you need, change the focus of your heart. This is part of the, one of the greatest things that happens when you're converted or you go through a conversion kind of experience or in other Christian language, they'll talk about being born again. That's what happens. And so first of all, this morning, I simply want you to ask these questions of yourself. Setting your hearts on things above. Where is your heart focused? Just do a personal little inventory right now. Don't think of anybody else's heart. Don't look at the person next to you or behind you and think, well, my heart is very much a whole lot more ahead of their heart than where I'm setting my focus. This is a personal thing for you. On what is your heart focused on right now? What earthly passions? What earthly pleasures? If someone were to ask you, what is your heart's desire? What's the first thing that would come out of your mouth? I, I would dare say the first thing for many of us might be an earthly pleasure or passion. What is your heart's desire in this life? Are you setting your eyes and your heart on things below or on things above? Or as the Greek text says, are you seeking the above and not seeking the below? Boy, I dare say that all of us here this morning got to work on this some more. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us work on this. Set your hearts on things above, on eternal values, on eternal pleasures, on the things of God. See, Jesus Christ, it says, is sitting at the right hand of God, the supremacy of Christ. Jesus, rule and all, and, and, and all, and rule of all authorities. Uh, Jesus is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And I've mentioned before in a few sermons back, that also means he becomes Lord of your life. And there's this transition and transformation that takes place. And we move from less and less seeking the things here on this earth that are temporal and more and more setting our hearts on things above. This doesn't happen overnight. You know that. But from time to time, we can slip back into, in our way of thinking and become more focused with this stuff than with this stuff that we get with God and with Christ and the heavenly places. He says, listen, first of all, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated. And verse 2, he goes on to say there's a second change that takes place, and he goes now from our heart to our minds regarding this new life. He says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now we're talking about a mindset, now he's talking about a, a, a way of thinking, uh, which is so different than, than, and it should be different than anybody else in the world. The secular mindset is, is way over here, never seeking the above, ne never setting their hearts on things above. Uh, they're thinking of all just the stuff we deal with on earth. The Christian mindset is different. In fact, let me read just a, a few passages of Scripture. Romans 12, verse 1 uh, uh, and to make it very clear, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. This is, this is the transformation that takes place. A renewed mind, then you'll be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In Philippians 2, when, when Paul is speaking about the supremacy of Christ, he goes on to say in verses 5 through 8, in your relationships with each other, have the same what? mindset of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say how Jesus, you know, put uh, in humility, put aside himself and his best interest, 
because he was setting his mind on things above and seeking to live the life that we were supposed to have been living. Set your mind and your mindset with Jesus on the very nature of God. Didn't think that, that he should not consider equality with God something to be grasped, so he made himself a servant. That kind of mindset. And then just a few uh, verses later in chapter 4, he says, listen, what should you be thinking about day in and day out when you get out of bed, when you go back to bed at night? Or for those of you who can't get out of bed anymore because you may be struggling with some kind of illness, as you lay there all day long, if you still have thinking abilities, what goes through your mind every single day? And this is where he talks about, these are the kind of things that should go through your mind. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So think about it a minute this morning. I I asked you to look at your heart this morning to see where your heart is with God. Now let's take a moment to look at your mind and your way of thinking and do it in this way as as you again just do just a personal review of, of your own thinking process during the day. What's the first thing you think about when you get up in the morning? The very first thing. Now, let's see, cornflakes or Wheaties? Uh, maybe. Okay, you got to have breakfast. I'm just talking about now in your mind, with, with, with the greater matters of life, what's the very first thing you think about in the morning, and what's the very last thing you think about before you go to bed at night? And then everything in between. Oh, I know, because uh, I'm with you. It, kind of all what goes on and what's happening during the day, where your mind goes. And your mind kind of takes on a way of thinking of how you're being affected by what's going on in your life right now. What is your way of thinking during the day? What preoccupies your mind 24-7? A lot of this can be just geared toward what are you reading? What are you watching? Um... What are you listening to regarding music and the like? Is your mind focusing on things below or on things above? What is your thought process? Paul says, listen, this life of transformation and change that's going on, when you're going to live the Christian life and have a conduct that is like the, the conduct of Jesus Christ and like-mindedness. Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on eternal things, on the eternal values, on the eternal qualities, and not on things below. And, and maybe in this case, whether we're speaking of our hearts or of our minds, this is why you should repent daily. Some point in your, in your day, every day, you should always go to God in repentance. And you say, Lord, my, my heart's been busy with the passions of this world and my own selfish pleasures, and my mind has been busy thinking about everything that's going on in my life and down here, and I haven't really taken the time to focus my heart and my mind on you. You've got to change the way your heart speaks to you regarding your earthly passions. Change the way how your mind is being geared toward these earthly things as well. And you know what the best way to do that is? I still remember some of the best elders that, I, that ever served with me on a council in church some of my best elders, and they got up usually at 5 or 6 in the morning. The first thing they did in the morning, what do you think the first thing they did in the morning? They opened the Word of God, and they soaked it in. What happens when, when you get in the Scriptures, the very first thing after you hit the snooze four or five times? What's the very first thing you do when you get up? The, the, these, some of my best elders, 
would tell me this is my pattern for the day. I open the Word of God when I begin, and, and I soak in what's coming in. A good devotional. It doesn't have to be two hours. It doesn't have to be an hour. It can be five minutes. But something they read kind of sticks with them in their minds. And as they go through the day, they said, you can't believe, Pastor, how many times because of what I read in God's Word in the morning, what got me through the day. My heart and my thinking were affected by that. The best way to change the focus of your heart and your mind is to start the day in the Word. And the second thing they would say, of course, is what? They also took time to pray. Well, you just lay your day before God, saying, Lord, this is kind of what my plans are today, and and if I don't have plans, uh, I'm concerned about what might happen today, and I'm going to pray for family, friends, this and that, my, my job if I'm still working, and on and on and on. They had their morning list. It didn't take that long. These weren't two-hour prayathons, but they said, you know, Pastor, whenever I would be in the Word in the morning, and if I would spend some time in prayer with God, you can't believe, yeah, I still face troubles every day with stuff, and I still do. From, from time to time, I, I will focus on the passions and pleasures of this world, but boy, has that ever helped me to keep in track and to keep the kind of life I'm, I'm supposed to be living? Well, I find that as a pastor, I have the privilege of being in the Word every day for a long time, a long time. And I can't tell you how much of a blessing that is in my life as a Christian. And it calls me as well to say, wow, I gotta, that's got to get out of my heart, and this has to get out of my mind. And, and I'm in the Word a whole lot, but it helps me a whole lot. And I have to believe, for those of you who consistently practice those two spiritual disciplines, it's going to help you a lot as well. And I'm going to challenge you. we got on your heart and your mind. Get in the Word as soon as you can in, in the day and spend some time in prayer. And if not, if you're not... Some people aren't morning people. If you're more of a night person, it, do it at night. Not the best time, I don't think, because your day's already gone, but at least it'll help you in, in some way. You get in the Word and you get in prayer, and it'll keep your mind and your heart focused on Jesus Christ. Now, verse 3, he goes on to say, he says, listen, why change the focus? Why should you do this? Why, why should your heart be focused more on Christ and you're fixing your eyes on him and why should your mind be focused more on how you should live as a Christian? And simply put, he says, listen, because you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Think about that phrase for a moment. Okay? He's called me to set my heart and my mind on things above. Why? Because we are hidden with Christ. Our very lives are hidden with Christ. Now, some people read that and walk away and say, oh, well, I thought my Christianity is supposed to be seen by people. Like we start living the Christian life like hide and seek. I'm not going to let people know where I work, who I hang out with, wherever I am. I'm not going to let them know that I'm a Christian because the Bible says our life is hidden with Christ and God. And so they maybe even use that as an excuse to say, I'm going to be one of those closet Christians where I worship God kind of on my own, on the side, and and you know what? The very people I work with don't even know that I'm a Christian. God forbid, but there maybe are some of us this morning. I'm not even going to let them know that I'm a Christian. They should know that by how I speak and I act, but I kind of keep that private. And this does not mean that you keep Christ hidden in your heart, oh, hidden in your heart chest, but not hidden from those who, people who you associate with. My life is hidden with Christ in God. Matthew 5, Jesus himself tells us, listen, what does he say in, in Matthew 5? Was it at 13, 14, 15 in there? What does he say about, uh, you are the salt of the earth. <laughs> I'm called, I called you to help preserve 
some sense of holiness in this earth, this, this earth that is just crumbling with sin. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You don't put a light in the closet and shut the door. Boys and girls, you can't find something if they shut the light, if you close a door on the light. He says, you're my light. By your deeds and for God's glory, let your good deeds be seen so that others will glorify God in heaven. It's not talking about hiding your faith or your Christian walk when it says you are hidden with Christ in God. <clears throat> what it's talking about is that what you have in Christ, you know, we're, we're united with Christ. We read a lot. I can't remember how many times in the New Testament we find the phrase, in Christ, you are in Christ, you are in Christ, you are in Christ, you are in Christ. It talks about this relationship that you have with Christ, which is hidden with him. And what that is, is simply this. It has to do with your calling. God calling you to be a Christian. It has to do with your election. God chose you to be his child. It has to do with your salvation. And that it's hidden with Christ in such a way. Now listen, so you get this. This is what this hiddenness means. It simply means that you are safe and secure in Christ. All that you have, this great salvation that he has given us, is safe and secure. Some theologians call it eternal security. No one can take away from you what you have in Christ because it is hidden with Christ in God. There is no evil power of any kind that can ever approach Jesus and take that away from us. I like that theological term, eternal security. Nobody can take away what we have hidden with Christ. That's the hiddenness we have with him. Now, he goes on to say in verse 4, let, let's consider all these things for a moment. He says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. He says, all things considered regarding your heart and your mind and this hiddenness that you have. He said, I've got to give you something that's going to motivate you to keep that focus as you live down here in this temporary place. He says, let me give you some motivation. And the motivation comes in what awaits us. This is really important because it's also a matter of where we fix our eyes. And this is all, all, often a matter and always is a matter of where we set our hearts and minds on. He says, listen, what awaits us. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Here's the big theological word this morning. This is called eschatological hope. It has everything to do with what's coming. It has everything to do with what we are awaiting. And sometimes we get so focused with our hearts and our minds on this life down here, we lose sight of what is coming, of why we're living the Christian life and what awaits us upon death and the return of Jesus Christ. This eschatological future hope is what we should be focused on. He says, listen, the day is coming. Um, when we're going to be with Jesus in glory. Another theological term that scholars will use for this, theologians use, is called our glorification. You see, that day is coming when, even though we're going to be talking about being dead to sin in a few weeks, and what does it mean if we're dead to sin? If we're dead to sin, how come I'm still sinning if I'm dead to it, right? I'll answer that in a, in a couple of weeks. There's this matter of being dead to sin. He says, listen, there, a day is coming called our glorification when finally... Finally, when Jesus returns, that, that sin that still tried to control us and rule us and was in our lives will finally forever be gone. Finally, we'll fully realize, called the already but not yet in theology, 
You already, you already are dead to sin, but guess what? The day has come when you're going to fully experience it when Jesus returns and you'll be dead to your sin. He said, keep that focus. And if you keep looking forward to what's coming in glory, it will help you, it will help your heart, and will help your mind focus on what's really important. Paul writes about that in, in Philippians 3. Uh, when he says these words, he says, listen. Now, he's speaking of that eschatological hope here. He says, not that I've already obtained all of this. He's talking about becoming more Christ-like. Or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not myself yet have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, listen, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward, in Christ Jesus. And just another chapter later, he says, speaking now of what we're awaiting. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there who by his power that enables him to bring everything under his control, the supremacy of Christ, will transform these lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. He says, you see, listen, keep that focus. you got to think more of what is coming. It'll help move you forward in becoming more Christ-like. It'll help you to refocus your heart. It will help you to refocus your mind. The song we're going to sing... Jesus is my life. All I have is Christ. That, that's, that's the goal. And yet for all of us, it's a struggle sometimes to really say, all I have is Christ and Jesus is my life because we let these other things in this world get in the way. And we lose ground of becoming more Christ-like, more Christ-mindedness and, and having the heart of Christ. Uh, Jesus is my life. And for many here this morning, Jesus is your life. You've professed him as Lord and Savior. And we look forward to the day. We look forward to the day when our faith will be fully realized. And you have that hope. You have that hope of what is to come, and it affects the way you live. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, and you happen just to walk in this morning because you wanted to see what church was all about and the like, and, or maybe you're listening online and, and, and you're not a Christian, you're, you're considering becoming one, but you still have a lot of questions, or you maybe haven't considered it at all, but you hate the life you're living. Lives are transformed by Christ. And, and so many people continue to look in all the wrong places and to all the wrong people and having their life changed. Jesus is the only one that is able to transform a person's life. And for anyone who needs to hear this this morning, he says, listen, this is his invitation to receive him this morning. Taken from Titus chapter 2. Paul writes, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation. To who? All people. The invitation goes out to all. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, and here comes the earthly stuff, the worldly passions, and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And here's that hope. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to let anyone listening here this morning understand your life can be hidden with Christ as well. It can be changed in a moment. Your life can be hidden with Christ and God. And you too, when Jesus returns, will be able to, to share in the glory of Jesus Christ. This whole thing called glorification. Can you imagine 
living at a place and being a person who is perfect in every way and, and a place where there's these just harmonious relationships with everyone that, that sin finally fully experienced its dead in God. That's the promise we have. And until that day, God says, live like this. Get your heart in the right place. Get your mind in the right place. Keep working at it. The Holy Spirit needs to help you through that. Keep working at it. And that day is going to come when that life we have in Christ and the perfection that we desire will be fully realized when he returns again. That's the message of the gospel. It's for us this morning and for anyone who is still outside of Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for good theology. And we're thankful that from this theology, it can shape the way we live. Good biblical theology. Many of us here this morning are Christians, and our lives have been shaped by your grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit to be more Christ-like. And yet we still have such a far way to go. There's still work that needs to be done in our hearts. There's still work that needs to be done in our minds. There still is a transforming that needs to take place. And with that in mind, uh, first we repent of, of where maybe our hearts and our minds have gone in the near past. And it's time to refocus and to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. That we can get things right. And that only with the power of your Holy Spirit and by your grace can we make the next step into becoming more Christ-like in every way. For your pleasure and by your grace, help that to happen with us and anyone listening this morning that we can be all in all in Jesus Christ, to have our lives hidden in him and someday to share in his glory when he returns. In Jesus' name, everyone say, amen. amen.